special study this morning. We're not going to be in Daniel where we've been studying, but if you want to open your Bible or open your Bible app and scroll on up to Nehemiah chapter 6. Felt like the Lord really wanted me to share this with you guys this morning. I didn't mean to make that such a segue there. I wasn't planning on that. I was like, I don't know how I'm really going to say, hey, segue, look at that. Um, you guys, as we look at this text, let's just pray over it and ask the Lord to um, say what he needs to say through me this morning and to say it in his way. Father, we recognize that we are finite, that we are um, fallible, and that you are infinite and perfect and holy, and the command that was given to us is heavy. Be holy as I am holy. And Lord, we recognize immediately on our own we're toast. But when we're empowered by your Holy Spirit, God, you give us the ability and the empowering and the strength to obey. It's at our, not only our fingertips, but it's within the fibers of our being. And so, Lord, give us a right mindset. Give us a focus that we have not had for some time. Lord, I feel like this is a message we need here in January of 2021, that we need to get our minds right. We need to get our eyes on the right goals. Because, Lord, if we are looking at this world, I am convinced that depression is what awaits us. I am convinced that if we are staring at the situations that are going on around us, we will lose heart. But if we're looking at you, and if our eyes are fixed on you, Jesus, remembering that you're not just the beginning, you're the end. You're the finisher. You're the completer. Lord, that we can have hope. We can have energy. We can have joy. We can even have excitement because we know how this all ends. Maybe the end is very close. Maybe it's far off. But Lord, I want to have a mindset like one of your disciples. Lord, as they wrote in the New Testament, the time is short. The time is near. Jesus is coming soon. Lord, we want to have that attitude of urgency about the work that you've given us to do. Like the example that we'll see here this morning, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to connect with this text. We would understand it in its right context and how it applies to our lives. Spur us on with this, I ask this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah was a Jewish man who was living in exile during the Persian reign. Um, he was serving as cupbearer of the king uh, Artaxerxes in the 400 BCs. He was sent to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, the gates to the city as well. And if you read the first five chapters, as we pick up in Nehemiah 6 for our study this morning, if you read the first five chapters, you're going to discover something about Nehemiah. It's worth noting that he was a man of prayer, much like Daniel. Not only prayer prior to his situations, but he was a man of prayer in the situation. Well, like when the king looked at him, and was like, Nehemiah, you look like trash today. What's wrong with you? Paraphrasing, of course. And Nehemiah is like, and I prayed to the Lord. You know, he's like, in that moment, he's like, oh, have you ever done that? I was in a situation this last week in conversation between two parties who were, by the way, I, I came home to a very contentious issue that I was dealing with. And, and, and I was like, I was asking for prayer in the moment, like, Lord, give me guidance for this situation. Like, while, while people were talking about, Lord, I need something here because I feel, do you ever like start panicking when you're trying to counsel people? Like, I don't know how to fix this, you know? And so you're like, oh, Lord, give me strength. And he does. Sometimes I'm like, uh, but it takes, you know, it comes eventually. It's worth noting about Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. He was a highly motivated man. 
Very highly motivated. He is a no-nonsense, firm, singular, focused kind of guy. He's my kind of guy. You know, Nehemiah is the kind of guy I'd like to do work with. I need you to do this, this, and this. Get it to me by 5 o'clock. Yes, sir. You know, like, I'm. that's the kind of guy I like to work with. He's very focused, has a vision, has a plan. You know, and you're like, gosh, Mike, people like you drive me crazy. I know. I know. I drive my family crazy, too. But it wasn't an easy mission that God gave him. This wasn't an easy mission. He had been sent to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to protect the city, and to put the gates in place. Not only was the task enormous, as you discover by reading the chapters prior, but there was adversity. You gain that knowledge by reading Ezra, and by reading the first part of Nehemiah, you see that there has been adversity to this, and not just, oh, we ran out of building supplies. There's been adversity in the ways of them actually having people trying to physically stop them like my headphones are rolling out of the back of my shirt here. Excuse me. Right where I left them. Um, they had people attacking them. They had people coming after them and, and trying to stop, physically stop them from doing the work that they were doing to the point where in chapter four it says they're working with a sword in one hand and they're using their other hand to work. They're like physically ready for an attack. Notice that the work that they were doing was God-given, agreed? This is a work that God had given them to do and was being physically attacked. It is possible to be about God's business and get physically attacked for it, okay? We have to remember that. It's essential to remember that. And just because God gave us the task doesn't mean that we're not going to have enemies. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so we should expect that kind of adversity. But the work of God is important, and we can't allow people to deter us from what's been entrusted to us by the Lord. People cannot deter us. In fact, Alan Redpath once said this, No man can lead a work of God if he allows himself to be governed by what other people think. He is to secure help, fellowship, prayer, advice, and he's foolish not to take it. So he's not giving us an out saying, you know, you should just do everything on your own and not listen to anybody. He's like, no, 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 no. Gain all the wisdom and help that you can. But if his ultimate decisions are based on popular opinion, he is going to fail. We will fail if we're basing what we're doing off popular opinion. We can't care for that. It's like Paul said in Galatians 1. He's like, if I was working to please men, I wouldn't please God. You can't have both. He's like, I'm here to please God. And that doesn't make us abrasive and rude on purpose. It means that our focus is going to bother people when we're doing God's work and they won't like it. They won't like what we're doing. If the task is given by God, let nothing deter, discourage, or disrupt your resolve in the spirit to accomplish the job you've been given. Let nothing deter you, discourage, or disrupt your your resolve to do so. In fact, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. You're like, I just feel like I run out of energy. I run out of the ability to do these things. God is working in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. You're not going to run out of juice. You're not going to run out of supply. He is going to supply you to this job. If you're doing God's work and you're running out of air, you're relying on yourself. Refocus on the Lord. Look to him to be the one that fuels you. Now, the other part of this is that Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says that he was the most cunning. You're like, how cunning is Satan? The most. He's the most cunning. There's a reason that Jesus warned us in this way in Matthew 10, 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. By the way, how defensive are sheep? 
Exactly. You're like, all I think of is the fluffy undercoating I want under my blankets, right? You know, that's pretty much all they have. Like, I'm going to fluff you to death if you come over here and try and, right? They, they have nothing to defend themselves with. Therefore, he says, you're like sheep among wolves. Wolves are mean and vicious and kill. He says, therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Be shrewd, be smart. And he says, but be innocent as well. You're not there to do harm. You're there to use wisdom. You're there to apply God's wisdom to your situation. And just because Nehemiah was doing a job that the Lord had ordained and entrusted to him didn't mean that he wouldn't have to apply discernment and common sense to get the job done. A lot of times, like, I'm just walking in the spirit. It's like, yes, but you're walking off a cliff. You shouldn't do that. Right? It only works in, you know, the last Indiana Jones, well, the one that we'll talk about where he's like, you know, by the leap at the lion's head. That doesn't work very often for us. I don't know if you've realized this. All the cliffs I've stepped off of, I've gone down. So we need to use common sense. We need to use discernment that God has given us in the situations that we're in and expect attack. Doing the work of God will require the fullness of our faculties that are empowered by the Spirit. It's the fullness of my physical faculty empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, led by the Spirit, but it's still my physical body. We put the things together. Nehemiah is doing a physical work, serving the Lord, and he makes enemies simply by doing the will of God. Have you made enemies by doing the will of God? I've made enemies in the church by doing the will of God. That's like layer, the next layer. And that's reality. But I'm not here to please men. And I'm not here to purposely offend them either. But if I have to choose between the two, you get what I'm saying? Nehemiah 6.1. Let's get into this and we'll see more. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall... And that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors and the city gates. He's kind of giving us his construction progress at this point. Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. I'm not making this up. They were planning to harm me. Who says the Bible isn't funny? So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing an important work. And cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal. And I gave them the same reply. Now, (laughs) this is a renewed attempt by these guys. This isn't the first time that he's heard from Sam Ballant, from Tobiah, and from, you know, Geshem and all these guys. He's heard heard from them before. This is a renewed attempt by them to put an end to the work. Now, point number one, I'm not like making like key points here, but here's my first point that I really want us to get that, that we should note. Just because you move on from your problem doesn't mean it's moved on from you. Why do I bring that up? Because we all have resurgent problems that we think that we're done with for a season. And what do you know? It comes creeping back into the picture. You thought you dealt with that attitude. You thought you had the resolve to to handle this in God's way. And what do you know? Satan is the most cunning. He finds a way to come at you from a different angle. Come, Nehemiah. Meet with us on the plane of Ono. We need to talk. Most likely, if you're ever wondering what the motivation, just in this, in this short study about Nehemiah, if you're wondering what the motivation for Sanballat was here, what his problem was, Sanballat and the boys are trying to prevent Judean independence from Samaria. 
Samarit, the Samaritans at this point had a semi-rule over them, and they had been given this job to strengthen the city of Jerusalem by the king, by Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And so what this is doing is putting a wall in between them and their territorial rule over the Jewish people living in Jerusalem. In other words, now we aren't going to be able to control them because they're going to be able to keep us at bay. And so they're pushing back. It makes a very logical um, motivation for them, even though they're evil. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. And when God is restoring freedom, expect the counterattack from the enemy. When God is bringing freedom to people, expect the counterattack. When I saw that the Lord was using this ministry in specific ways, immediately I clenched up a bit because you know the attack's coming. You know the enemy's going to come at you. I'm telling you this. If we execute what it is that I feel like God is putting on our hearts to do this year, and that's evangelize the crap out of Coeur d'Alene, sorry. If, if that's what we end up doing, get ready for attack. The enemy is going to come at us. It could be subtle from the sides. It could be right in your face. He's going to attack us. What does that mean? Oh, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should just stay safe inside our YWAM building and not do anything. They don't believe that. We don't either. Am I right? Heckers know, my dudes. We're going to go downtown. So here's the thing. If anyone suggests a meeting in a plane, don't meet them at oh no. Okay? That's just borderline. And Nehemiah says so. They were planning to harm me. He sees right through it. Discernment. Have you ever counseled anyone? I'm not going to give you a demographic or an age group. And they're like, well, they love me. They just don't like to treat me very well. And you're like, you're hanging out with them in the relationship of, oh, no. Like, get out. Don't don't be in this. Oh, it's so frustrating. It's like Admiral Akbar said, it's a trap. Get out. Four times they ask him. Four times he responds in the same way. Distraction is a tactic. Persistent proposal is a method and destruction is the goal. His persistence and his distraction is, is aimed to destroy them. Did you notice that? Distract. They're going to harm me. Persist in it. They're still working it. Here's what Proverbs 4, 25 to 27 says. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Look straight ahead. Don't get distracted. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. How many people get into trouble on a moment-by-moment basis because they are taking risks they should not take? They are putting themselves in situations that compromise what God has told them to do. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Young people especially, for all of us, but young people especially, memorize Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Stay on the straight path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Don't give in to temptation. Read 1 Corinthians 10. Don't give in to temptation. Not only we know the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says there's no temptation that's overtaking you except that's what's common to man. God has provided the way of escape, right? What does it say in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12? He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. If you think you're on solid ground, heads up, you're too cocky. You're too full of yourself. Do we let people distract us from the job God has given us right here? How much time as 
let, let's just use this in a situation that convicts me as well as it'll probably convict you as well. How much time have I spent reaching out to the loss as opposed to reading the news in the last week? How much time have I spent evangelizing as I spent looking at social media this last week? We are so distracted. The enemy is cunning. You didn't just all of a sudden be like, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I just want to spend this week like 10 hours on Facebook. Nobody makes that decision just out of the blue. He lures you into it. He distracts you into it. And it's persistent. The little notifications, bling, someone likes you. You should check out and see who it is. (gasps) Somebody gave you a heart. You're special. You should spend some time on that. Just how special you are. About politics. Yes, that's right. I'm going to press every single button. I aim to aggravate you today in a good way. I'm going to poke you into edification. Please cut that out of the video later. (laughs) Sometimes you you say things, you're like, yeah, that, that was heard out of context. You guys, think about this for a second. What about politics? How much time have we talked about Jesus as opposed to talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C.? How much have we pointed people to the king of kings instead of the king of men? Are we focused on the right things or are we insanely distracted? There's too much noise. I wouldn't even talk about COVID. How much time we spent talking about that? Are they realities? Yeah, so is Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They were realities in Nehemiah's life. What did he say? No. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm not going to meet you at oh, no. No, no, no. I'm not going. He's like, I got a job to do, and I'm going to do my job. Four times, over and over. Nope, gave him the same reply. I'm not going to go. We have forgotten, church, that we don't have to entertain distraction. In fact, we have forgotten, and we often forget, I put myself right in the middle of this, that everything, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you want to know what your job is? And what my job is? That ministry. Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He has given us this message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Not, this is my opinion. Not this is what's bothering me right now. Don't put the hammer down. These gates need to get hung. We got a job to do. Be reconciled to God is our message. And have we spoken it even once in the last couple of weeks? I'm convicted with this just as much as you are. And that's our ministry that we're all united in calling to. He's speaking to a church. Be reconciled to God. Are we spending our lives declaring reconciliation and pleading for the lost to taste and see that the Lord is good, just as BJ talked about last week? Are we walking around like, you know, a, a, a waiter, you know, at one of those parties where everyone's like, mm-hmm. have you tried this yet? What is it? It's God. You should taste and see. Try it. Right? It's good. You trust me. You'll be asking for me to come back. 
You know, are we, are we running around trying to give people a taste of the Lord? We're like, you know what I heard the other day? I found that you, we're so tempted to do that. And we're so drawn to do that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have conversations and face the realities of things, but we spend way too much time on that. Way too much time distracted and way too little time telling people that Jesus died on the cross for them. The enemy wants to distract. He is going to persist in his distraction. The enemy wants to destroy us through those methods. Here's the thing. If he can't have your soul, he wants to render you as useless as possible. If the enemy can't have your soul because it belongs to Jesus, he's not just going to be like, well, yeah, just let him get on fire and go tear the world up for Christ. You know, there's nothing we can do. He's going to find a way to lure you out of effectiveness. He's crafty. That's why after you get saved, you put on the whole armor of God. So like, well, I'm saved now. I don't need armor. He says, no, armor up. Why? Because the enemy's going to attack your effectiveness. He's going to attack your ability to minister to people for Christ's sake. This image comes to life. We remember this staying alert, being on task, and working with one hand while holding a sword in the other. We think of the sword of the spirit, but Nehemiah gave us a very physical picture of this in Nehemiah chapter 4. We had threats, so we worked with the weapon in one hand, and we worked with our left, or vice versa. You guys, what else should we expect the enemy to do? Not only this, not only the things that we see him doing, distraction and persisting in distraction and attempting to harm. Nehemiah's like, they're going to hurt me. No. There's more to it than that. What has the enemy been from the beginning? I'm keying in on, he's what? He's a liar. John 8, 44. Jesus speaking, by the way, to the Pharisees. You never want to hear this. You're like, who was Jesus talking to? Some really bad people in John 8 because he was throwing down. It's like, no, no, he's just talking to religious leaders. It's the truth. You are, the, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and a father of lies. Speaking to the religious leaders of that time who were full of dead men's bones because they were all about the religiosity and not about the truth. Satan is the father of all lies. If he's going to distract, if he's going to persist in distraction, if he's going to try and harm, you can expect him to lie. You can expect him to accuse, right? Look what happens to Nehemiah next. Verse 5, Sanballat sent me this message a fifth time, five times a charm, by his aide who had, key words here, church, an open letter. Why do you have an open letter? So that other people can read it, Right? An open letter is just that. Anyone can read an open letter. Here's what was written in it. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, we all know how smart Geshem is, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you're building the wall. According to these reports, (laughs) oh my gosh, it's like reading Apple News, you are to become their king. And have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Oh, he's so slimy. 
You're like, you dirtbag. You're just trying to get him to come out into the open and be like, now, I'm not saying this, but, you know, the reports are saying that you're actually trying to make yourself a king. And, you know, Artaxerxes is going to find out about this. I don't know how. But he's going to find out about it. So we better meet so that you don't get yourself into trouble, Nehemiah. I'm trying to look after you. The idea of an open letter is understood plainly. Anyone can read it. Not only is the letter a threat to Nehemiah, but the way it's delivered is intended to threaten and intimidate him by spreading the rumor. This letter came to you open, and I mean, who knows who's read it already? I mean, they're probably like, want to read a letter? Check this out. Look at this. Mm, Right? When I was a kid, I had a problem. Well, I had a lot of them. But um, amongst those problems... I'm trying to downsize currently. Um, the tendency for me was to lose my temper when I was accused of doing something that I didn't do. I don't know if any of you guys are like that. You're a truth person. You're a justice person. I know people be lying to me like, no, I didn't do that. I'd be like, no, 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 no. And I'd freak out. I mean, I, would, I mean, that was very mild. I would freak out. Like, do not accuse me of doing something I did not do. And I, I can hear those words from my childhood still in my head. I used to think I was justified when I would get angry when I was falsely accused because I had been falsely accused. Therefore, I deserve to be vindicated, right? And on the surface, that seems okay. But first of all, let's talk about the anger reaction. What do we know about anger from James chapter 1? It doesn't produce the righteousness of God, right? And that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Oftentimes, I'm slow to listen, quick to speak, and lightning fast to anger. And so this is James like, <laughs> let's work on that for the rest of your life, shall we? You know, let's, let's just, and you're like, I can't. He's like, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, he says that in the context of that passage. So we know that, the, that our anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so that's another memory verse, folks, James 1.20. So my anger was not justified just because I've been wronged. Secondly, looking at the life and reactions of Jesus as compared to the Pharisees when it comes to false accusations. Did Jesus hold back truth? No. Did Jesus run around the entire countryside trying to defend him to everyone, defend himself to everyone? No. What was he doing? Father's will. The work God had given him to do. He's not running around trying to prove himself to everyone. He is doing what he was here to do. Almost like we should. Jesus never lost his cool. You're like, how about that time we flipped over the tables? He took time to make a whip. He knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus, when he did those things, did them to make a point, And I don't believe that he blacked out. He was not in a blind rage. I want to be like him. It's as simple as that. Jesus didn't lose his cool, even when he was accused and lied about. Now, regarding our text, remember what Jesus said in John eight forty four that Satan was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. We should expect to be lied about, shouldn't we? We should expect misinformation. Conservatives, I'm talking to us. I'm with you. Like, oh, and you will not believe what I just read. Oh, I believe it. Is it true? No. What's true? This. Why are we so shocked when there's lies? Satan's full of them. He's full of lies. 
And the reason I'm talking, really quick, the reason I'm talking to conservatives is because I know my room. Okay? Same applies on the other side. There are lies. Satan is trying to get people to fight against each other and to be distracted enough to not finish the task that's been given. So what are we letting him do? What are we letting him do? Fill our heads with all this stuff that we should be running around trying to prove ourselves to anyone? What did Jesus do? What does Nehemiah do? Keep your eyes on the goal. Stay focused and be filled with the strength of God. We have a job to do, and it's not to run around and vindicate ourselves. Can I get an amen? Jesus does that. He vindicates us. He is our mediator. He is the one who stands in the gap. I am here to do a job. I don't need to go out there and prove it to people that I'm doing it his way. It's my job to do it his way. This is so simple. My second point that I wanted to make sure was so clear. Satan lies. It's really easy. Satan lies. Expect it. We've been and are being sanctified in the truth of God's word. John 17, 17. Jesus says, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. As he prayed over his disciples, he says, cleanse them, grow them, move them forward in your truth. We don't have to run around and worry about what's going on out here. I need to be sanctified by the truth. That's the work of the spirit in my life. So of course we're going to meet resistance, distraction, persistence, harmful lies, and harmful intent. These are methods of the enemy. How did Nehemiah handle the factors? He's openly lying about him. He's trying to turn the one who commissioned him against him. And if, if you were in Nehemiah's shoes, let me, let me go back. If I were in Nehemiah's shoes, I'm going to go tell the king exactly what I'm doing. That's so wrong. I'm choosing my words carefully. That's so out of line. I'm going to prove myself. How? I'm going to go, I'm going to go tell him. What does that accomplish? Me not building the wall. Me not getting the gates hung. Why? Because I'm going to have to go vindicate myself to somebody over a lie that had no truth in it. What does Nehemiah do? Then I replied to him, there is nothing, this verse 8, to these rumors you are spreading. This is empty. You are inventing them in your own mind. Nehemiah speaks truth. There's nothing to this. You're making it up. Did Nehemiah make a proclamation to everyone who was working with him on the wall? Did he ride his horsey or his donkey along the wall and be like, whatever Sam Ballot says, don't believe him, keep working. You know, he's not doing that. We don't see him running around like, have you heard what he's saying? It's so garbage. I would never, I would never, right? He sends a letter back and says, you're full of garbo, man, right? You're full of garbage. He says this, verse 9, for they were trying, all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. How? If you're so busy trying to prove yourself and trying to vindicate yourself, you don't have any time to work. You don't have any time to be about what God's put you here to do if you're too busy trying to run around and prove yourself to everyone. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. And if you look at that, in context of the words, it's very easily translated, so I redoubled my efforts. Some old translations actually translate it that way. So I redoubled my, my efforts. The my God is actually inserted as something that's implied. This is probably much less of a prayer as it is Nehemiah saying, so I doubled down on what God told me to do. When the world brings a slanderous, 
lie against us, we double down on what God's told us to do. Why? Because if the, if the enemy, if Satan's attacking it, then there's something to it. If you meet Satan head to head, face to face, you're not going his direction. So you can expect resistance. I love this guy. I love Nehemiah. No need to get caught up in an argument. No need to run around trying to prove how right he is. There's nothing to this. You're making it up. I got work to do. Peace. Back to the job. Probably didn't even skip a beat. We have, church, a message of reconciliation to deliver to this world. We have people around us who need mentoring, who need discipling, transform. We cannot lose our identity. We cannot get caught up in things that don't matter. And I'm not saying the situations in our world do not require our prayer and require us to speak truth to them. But if that's all we're doing, we have allowed the enemy to take away our main job. We've allowed the enemy to distract us from the ministry of reconciliation, which is why we're here. We can become distracted. We can listen to noise and we're giving up ground to the enemy. We allow him to entice us into compromise. We're not aware that we're actually compromising our mission. We're compromising our purpose. He's not removing us from the love of God. Can I make that really clear? When Satan distracts you, he's not removing you from the love of God. You've become, you've gone from being an, an abundant fruit producer to a tree that's really not producing much. May the Lord come and pray. May the Lord come and clip those little things off that need to go so that we can stand strong again and produce fruit. The time to invest in eternity is right now. It's right now, it's not later. It's not when you get older. The time to invest in eternity is now evangelize, mentor, get into a community group, join a home fellowship, have breakfast with somebody, reach out to a teen, reach out to a senior, ignore the age gap, ignore it, pour into somebody and go out and share together. I challenge you guys, when was the last time you just approached some of the churches and said, let's have breakfast, pray together, and go share the gospel downtown, or go share the gospel with these people over here, or just go talk about our faith? When was the last time we did that? Now, I'm, I'm speaking from like having done this in the last week, but I want to be really honest with you guys and not stand on false pretense. It had been a while. It had been a while, and I saw with my own eyes just how powerful it is when God works through people going out and telling others that Jesus loves them, that they need him. Reconcile, 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 reconcile. Reach out to the world. Be reconciled to God. Call to them. Cry to them. Plead with them. Speak to them. Pray over them. Keep your hammer in your hand. Resist the devil as you build the wall. He'll flee from you. He will flee from you. God has given Nehemiah this job. If God wants to take Nehemiah out of the picture, he can do that. He can allow that to happen, but Nehemiah can't get distracted by it because he's got work to do. He's not like, I wonder if God's going to... No, he's like, so I just redoubled. I doubled down on what I was doing. God strengthened my hand. Give me strength. Give me strength to keep going, not to quit. We'll close with this thought. 
Are we so focused on things that will disintegrate with time that we've forgotten what it says in First Peter one twenty four through twenty five? For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. The gospel endures forever. Is there beauty in this world in the flowers and the grass? Yeah. Is there some value to taking care of it? Sure. We were, we were placed here as caretakers. That's what we do. We're here to take care of this place. But if that's all we're spending our time on, we're missing the main point. That's like eating a piece of fruit and not recognizing there's a steak on the table. Come on now. The good stuff is what we're here for. We are here. So like, ew, steak, whatever it is that tickles your fancy. You guys, we are here to reconcile on behalf of our king. May the Lord strengthen our hands for that work. Let's get together. Let's find out ways to do this. You don't need me to get started. I just got it started. BJ and I are going to get busy this year. We want everyone to join us. And the reason I say this is because he has to. He works in the office with me. Let's go, BJ. He's like, oh. I'm just kidding. No, he pulls me out just as much as I do him. We, we spur each other on to love and good works. You guys, start something. Reach out. Do an outreach. Do a ministry. You know I'm going to throw in. I want to jump into things, but I don't want to have to start everything. We need to be go-getters, be proactive. So many of you are proactive in other ways of your life. When was the last time you were proactive about reaching the lost or about doing a community outreach? We have enough people in this ministry to have 20 work teams out there cleaning up the neighborhoods. Let's get to work. You're like, ah, oh, that's like just going out and doing nice. Do you want to tell me that you're not going to have the opportunity to share about your faith when you're raking up debris from someone's driveway? I was around a bunch of believers and I was built up. I wasn't even reaching the lost yesterday. I was just talking to people about, wow, your fence is decimated. I think I'll try and fix this. <laughs> like, you're the last person. I know, but just, I'll do the best I can. I mean, but the fellowship was rich. It was rich and it was powerful and it was exactly what we needed. God strengthen our hands. Lord, as we, I long for us to be encouraged by this. God, I pray that no one would feel beat down. No one would feel um, condemned because that is not biblical. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, Lord, I pray that this would light a fire in our hearts to get back to work, to be less distracted. God, I pray they would renew a desire for us to spend time in your word to start our day every day to spend time in prayer, to sacrifice a half hour of sleep, to read your word and to pray every morning. Lord, to look for the opportunities that you're giving to us. God, you didn't call us to do these things alone. You called us to do it together. You put us in community. You created us to function. And so, Lord, I pray for fresh vision for this, this church. God, I pray that you would show us how we can be effective. We don't, we don't want to create work for ourselves to do. We want to be about the work you give us to do. And so, Lord, open the doors and give us the strength and the boldness to walk through them. To whatever you want that to end and to look like. We just want to know that we're building walls. That we're hanging those gates. That we're doing the work and not getting distracted by the enemy.
Let's take a moment just to keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord, and then we'll worship together. But let's take a quiet moment and let the Lord speak to our hearts.